to rekindle what was lost in the Garden of Eden. So when we cry out holy, we are simply coming and acknowledging by description the, the only a word that only only describes the living God. As we come, we're basically making a declaration of who He is. Father, we worship You this morning. Father, we praise You for things that You do, but we worship You because of who You are. And as we come to this, this moment, God, we declare that You are holy that only you are separate and that we come in, in your holiness and so that means you're infinite and we come and recognize God we are simply finite beings but you decided and made a choice that you wanted to take the infinite to relate to the finite the holy to come and to interact with the unholy and Father, we praise you that in that act, you came to make a way, Father, that we could be in relationship with you. And that you then come and say, hey, in my holiness, I come and declare you holy. I separate you from brokenness to life. Live separated. And so, Father, we come this morning to worship you for who you are and for what you've done. Father, you are holy. And we have no idea what that word really means, but you are it. And we thank you that in your holiness you decided it'd be best to come and to relate to us. And we praise you for it. Father, this morning, awaken us to the fullness of who you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as if you read the email, if you're on the email list at, at Vintage, uh, this week you would have received an email from me uh, where basically my email said, oops, sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, if you know, we're, we are one of several churches, and one of our newest churches is Awakening Church that's happening in Woodstock. And we are a part of a church planting network, and Awakening Church is our newest church plant and, uh, and so one of our commitments of being part of the network is that when a church is getting ready to, quote unquote, go live, which means that they're getting ready to open their doors to, to announce the rest of their, to their community they're going to be there, that we as the other churches that are partnered with them, we take up an offering. Uh, basically to go towards them, basically saying, hey, we, Awakening, we want to be a blessing to you. And so we want to bless you financially. So also it's Riverstone and, and Stonebridge and now Vintage. We are all taking up an offering to go towards uh, the launch of their church. And that's what we're doing this morning, if you were, saw the email. So what I'm going to ask you to do is this. In a, um, if you came this morning ready to give uh, to Awakening, and you're going to write a check. Just simply write your check out and in the memo line, put Awakening Church. If you are going to uh, give cash this morning, because that's just how you roll, uh, in the back back here, uh, on, on your right, my left, there's a table with some candles on it. 
And there are, there are envelopes on that table with some pins back there. And you can take your cash, put it in that envelope, and um, give it to me or give it to Randall. Give it to, you can give it to Greg. Give it to Greg right there. Greg, raise your hand real quick. Just give it to Greg after service, and he'll make sure it gets where it needs to go. Well, we can, hey, we just get a Bass Pro Shop, Greg, if you want to. That'd be awesome, right? So uh, anyway, so anyway, we're going to do that this morning, the opportunity for you to give. At the same time, the baskets will come back down. They go, the baskets go down earlier. Okay, so when the baskets come back down, you'll be doing two things, or actually three things. Putting your awakening offering in, giving your normal tithes and offerings, or if you're a first-time guest, you will take your Connect card that you filled out, put it in that basket so we can get a connect, we can connect this week with you via email. All right, does that all make sense? All right, so pass the baskets back down, and we want to be a blessing uh, to them. Uh, Jeff Whitmire is the pastor. It's in Woodstock, and they are right off of uh, 92. If you're going north on uh, 575, get off the 92 exit, turn right, and they'll be up there on your left. And um, So if you are from the Woodstock area and you're looking for a church to go to and you drove a long way this morning, stop driving so far, conserve your gas, and go to Awakening Church, okay? And uh, that would be fantastic. All right. Well, if you've been at Vintage uh, for the last several weeks, and I said the word transition to you, you'll go, hey, I know what he's talking about, right? Because we've been talking about this reality of being a church and being a people who are in transition. So the last several weeks I've named that, saying, hey, transition. We are a people who are moving from point A to point B. And, and, and where we are, sometimes it's not an easy season. It can be a very difficult season. And so it's been funny. I feel like in all the, the, the um, series, quote-unquote, or messages I've done over the last couple of years, there has not been a, a series of messages that I seemingly have resonated with our people of Vintage more than the series on transition, uh, of, of dealing with our difficult times, right? This, the frustrations of change even, right? And, and we've looked at just a couple different verses of Scripture and different sections of Scripture to kind of name that transition. But a lot of you come and say, my gosh, Steve, you're speaking to me. I feel like this message has to be for me only. And I'm like, you're like the... 80th person I've talked to has said that. So great, you know, it's how, that's how God rolls, right? He speaks directly to us. And so, so, it's a real, so it's been really neat just to see how God has been speaking into to you, uh, to talk about, to speak into your transitions of life, the difficulties that you're facing, uh, and then also to see how he's speaking into the life of vintage as a whole in the midst of our transition. Uh, and, and so in that, it's been exciting to see God do that, and, and that's where we are. And, and one of the things that we named several weeks ago, one of the primary words we said that defined for us this, this transition was the word perseverance. The word perseverance. And, and in the natural, every single one of us uh, understand this word perseverance, don't we? If you, if you ever went to high school and ever had a PE class with one of those coaches with his shorts up too high, a crazy hat and a whistle, and a whistle happy thing going on in his mouth, you know what, you know, perseverance. Because you'll sit in the very first day of peace and say, all right, y'all, we're going to run the mile today, right? And you're like, oh, no, I haven't run all summer, right? It's like, all right, we're going to run. So when your mark is set, I'm going to blow my whistle really loud when I blow it. You're all going to take off. You're like, oh, my gosh, right? So he's like, one, two, three, he blows the whistle. What do you do? You take off, right? And so you're running around, you're running around. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm maybe about lap one on our track. Of How many laps is it? Is it eight laps? 
It's, yes, four, I always ran eight laps, Jordan, right? But no, you run four laps, right? And that first lap, you're doing okay, but second lap, what happens? Everything in your body is screaming, stop running, right? And so you find yourself slowing down. And I had this voice indelibly stamped in my brain that says, come on, handbrake, get those legs up, go, 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 feel the burn, engage the burn. I'm like, shut up, right? And he's like, you're running, like, come on, go, go, go. And the idea in this is you, you got your point A, you got your point B, now you've got to persevere with dumb coach over here screaming in your ear, right? That's what it means to persevere. And all of us have been in that in some level, this place of life where we know we're at, we're, we're at point A, we have a starting point, we're trying to get to point B, and to get there, we have to push, right? It takes everything that we have inside of us, and we know because everything is screaming at us, stop moving! And you have a decision to make in the moment. I have to push through this to persevere to get to our destination. And so in life, we all, in a very, this is a real practical place, we understand this word perseverance. Now, perseverance, I believe it's a character trait that we possess in our life. And I believe as Americans, we are... Uh, <laughs> We are lacking this character trait in a pretty high level. Why? Because we live in a culture of instant gratification, right? That we want to get to the destination immediately. I'll never forget growing up, like I, I, I wanted to learn how to play guitar, but I did not want to persevere through it to get to the end, right? I just wanted to pick up the car and be able to play it, right? Hey, look how awesome I am, right? But it didn't work that way. It took me, it took me like two days, right? I'm just kidding. It took me weeks and months to learn how to, to play, Lord, I lift your name on high, right? That's, all, that's the song I learned how to play. It said G, C, and D, back up to C and G, right? It took me forever to learn how to play a song and persevering to get to it, right? And so we had this thing going on. This, it's a character trait that in us that when things, you know, that, that in our, when, the, when, going, when the going gets tough, right? The tough is supposed to get going. But when we live in our American culture, is when the going gets tough, so well, we just leave, right? It's like, hey, man, when it gets hard at my job, I'll just leave and get a new one, right? It, when, if I don't like what's going on, it's hard at my church right now, then I'll just find a new one. There's lots of churches. Or if I don't like what's going on in my relationship with my spouse, I'll just find a new one. There's lots of single people out there, right? So we'll just do our thing, and I don't have to persevere through anything. I'll just get what I want when I want it, because that's how I roll in America, right? I want what I want when I want it right now. And that's kind of how we are in culture. We have, we are sorely lacking this character trait of perseverance in our lives. And Scripture is very clear, we're going to read it in a second, that perseverance is something that is vital to our spiritual life. It is actually a defining mark of spiritual maturity. And I would come back and even say, for those of you who aren't Christians and just want a good pep talk this morning, I would say this, that perseverance is something that should be the mark of a mature person in general. That when things get hard, that I'm able to push from here to here and push through. And if I cannot, then I would call you immature. And if we don't possess this in, 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 growing, in a growing way, then it means we're lacking in the maturity that we need to be growing into. So, so real quick, when we talk about perseverance in the New Testament, we're taking it from the Greek word hupomane. Let's say that all day long. Hupomane, right? This is a great song. We should sing a song about that. Hupomane. And it literally means this. Steadfastness, faithfulness, dependable, 
and endurance. You all understand steadfast. I'm immovable, right? I'm steadfast. I'm resolute in me that when things come against me, I will not move. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is I will be faithful when everything out here is crying out faithlessness, right? Dependability. How many of you think that, every, that we are dependable by culture, right? No, no, no. I mean, I've talked to business owners saying, man, people come and they go, right? Because they're not dependable, right? They get in and they are like, ah, this isn't fun. I'm out of here. Or endurance. Endurance. How many of you? This is the idea that says, I'm moving point A to point B, and endurance is that choice that I make that when it's really hard, I'm going to endure the pain that I'm feeling inside of me to get to the end. Right? So, hupomane is always in the face of difficulty. I persevere when things either from the inside or from the outside are pushing against me and wanting me to stop. So, what does James say about it? He says this. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 should be familiar to a lot of us. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials... Of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James comes and says, Hey, listen, difficulties come from the outside, right? It's testing your faith. But if you will, but it's growing you in your perseverance, right? When difficulties and trials come in your life, they will be present. And when they come, you have a choice. Either you give in and just give up, or you continue to move forward and allow perseverance to be birthed inside of you so that you can become mature, right? This is a character trait that needs to be birthed inside of us, and it's birthed inside of us simply by living your life. Because as you live your life, there are ebbs and there are flows, there are ups and there are downs, there are easy moments, and there are difficult moments. And as we live our life and these moments come, we have a choice to give in or to persevere. And James tells us if you're going to be mature in your faith, and I would say mature simply as a human being, then perseverance has to be something that marks your life. So if Peter, whoever writes Second Peter, comes in and echoes the same sentiment in different words when he says this, just read along, it says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So he just goes through a list of character traits, right? All these things, you want them in your life, right? Who doesn't want to have love or sisterly kindness, right, in your life, right? So, so, so for if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure, showing that they grow in our life, right? If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, fantastic, and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he or she is nearsighted and blind, and they've forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. 
And so the picture is really clear. He comes in, it's really, really practical. You don't have to read between the lines, some secret meaning here, right, that only theologians can get. He's saying, listen, there are character traits that God wants you to possess in your life. Here they are. And one of them is perseverance. And if they're not growing in your life, if you're not increasing in them, if you're not having gaining knowledge, right, knowledge of Jesus and knowing, if you're not becoming, quote-unquote, more good, right, doing good things and, and being encouraging, if you're not growing in your faith, these character traits, then it says, really clearly, it says, well, you're, you're, you're being ineffective. So, I mean, you can be more effective in life, y'all, and you can be more productive in your life, and if you don't have them, and unfortunately, i just got to say to you, you're immature, you're nearsighted, and you're blind. That's pretty straightforward, right? And so you have to be increasingly growing in these in our lives. We have to gain perseverance. So perseverance, along with all these other character traits that I'm naming, is something that is birthed in us, like I said, through, through living life, right? In our pers- listen, in our pursuit of Christ's likeness. There's a, I'm going to, there's a, there's, I'm, Running the race set before me as if to win the prize set before me. Who is the prize? His name is Jesus. I'm running with everything after me to get to him. I'm becoming Christ's life. That's my goal. So he says, as you're living your life in a pursuit to become Christ-like, then these character traits, the traits of Jesus, must be birthed in you. And perseverance is one of those that is in our life. So let me just kind of I'm read a couple of things to you. Didn't write this one down, but follow along as I'm just going to read it here. It says this. Perseverance accepts the blows of life. Body blow, body blow, uppercut, right? What, what video game was that? Some video game back in the day, right? Mike Tyson. Well, you remember that, Kelly? Body blow, body blow, uppercut. Anyway, so that's the picture I have. Body blow, body blow, uppercut, right? So you've got the body blows of life, right? They're coming. Perseverance accepts the blows of life. Body blow, body blow. But in accepting them, transforms them into stepping stones to new achievements. Read that again. Perseverance accepts the blows of life, but in accepting them, transforms them into stepping stones to new achievements. And so the idea is simply this. You remember, I mean, this is the proverbial story of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan comes in his freshman year of high school. He goes out and shoots some baskets there, and he's five foot something back in the day. And his coach said, sorry, you can't play. You're not tall enough. You're not good enough. You can't play on the team. So he, so he could passively accept that blow and never play basketball again, and we would never have this. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You've all seen, you've all seen the poster, right? This moment of being the best, in my opinion, the best basketball player who's ever played the game in the sense of the full rounded abilities, right? So his freshman, he said, okay. So what did he do? He turned, he accepted the blows, turned them and said, I'm going to practice and become the best basketball player in the world. And so he did. You see, perseverance is this. Blows of life will come. Relationships, stuff from the outside, or even things from the inside, screaming at us, telling us how terrible we are, and how ugly we are, and how all these bad things about us, right? And we have our own spouse telling us, or we have our parents telling us, or maybe you're just telling yourself it every day, all the body blows that are coming every day. And perseverance is saying, 
taking those and saying, take those and turn them to become an impetus, to become steps to move forward. William Barclay, he, he wrote this about Hupamani. He said this, he says, Hupamani, or perseverance, endurance, all this stuff, it does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things passively. But it's the patience which masters them. Saying, you may come at me with this, but I'm going to turn it to make it a motivation to step on and to move forward. It's not some romantic thing which lends us wings to fly over difficulties in the hard places. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which steadily which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected to one side or the others, or the other. Obstacles do not daunt it, and discouragements do not take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries on until in the end it gets there. You know, it's one of those deals where, and I could spend all day trying to break this down, but it literally is this. When things go on in life, do you just receive it and go, woe is me. I, my life is terrible. I'm an idiot. I'm ugly. Right? All of those things we tell ourselves. Or do we say, wow. That, I was going to say something bad. That frustrates me. I was going to be more passionate than that, but I shouldn't be. I'm frustrated that all the things that just came in, I res- I'm going to receive them, but I'm going to turn them back around, and they are going to be fuel for me, because they're not true. They are lies, and I will not believe them, and so I'm going to twist that, because I know what my father thinks about me. He says I am, I am perfect in his eyes. Scripture says in Hebrews, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, so I am perfect in his eyes. First Peter says he's giving me everything that I need pertaining to life and godliness through my knowledge of him. Therefore, I will stand on the truth of what he thinks about me, and you can say what you want to about me, but I'm only going to use it for fuel, and then I'm going to stomp on your head and get to where God wants me to be. That, my friends, is perseverance. So, picture's clear here. This is what perseverance is. So, one of those stories for me scripturally that I find that fits this, and I'm going to kind of give you a little caveat of something you have to keep in mind, is the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we've been talking about him, so I wanted to talk about him again. Remember the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes, God says, go back and rebuild the temple. So he goes back to rubble and ashes, takes some people with him, and they begin the process of rebuilding this temple that's been utterly and 100% completely destroyed. So they come back, and everyone, they're a laughing stock of all the nations that are around them. Fantastic. Who loves being laughed at, right? So Nehemiah's there with all his friends. They're getting laughed at. And so they're sitting there in the moment, and they begin to rebuild the temple. All of a sudden, it's about chapter 3, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, it's actually happening. And so you got a crew of people, got a crew of people, and they're all like throwing out accusations, threatening to kill them, threatening to destroy stuff. I mean, it's bad news, right? All this stuff's going on, but Nehemiah says, hey, 
Let's turn this into stepping stones because this is our Lord who will fight for us and you fight with him. Do not give up. And so everybody goes, yeah. So they don't give up. They continue building. In chapter 6, we get to it. All of a sudden, we find in verse 15 and 16, the temple wall has been rebuilt. And everyone's feeling really good. This, my friends, is a victory moment. Okay? This is one of those moments like, yay! Jesus, right? They didn't know Jesus back then. They called him God, right? So, yay, God, right? It's New Old Testament, New Testament. Anyway, so, so you got this whole thing going on. And so, and it even says in verse 15 and 16, it says that, uh, it says that even the, the, the enemy, their enemy lost confidence because they realized their God had done this. Oh, this is a powerful moment. The enemy goes, oh, they tuck their tails behind their legs and they run off because who wants to mess with a God like this, right? And so in the moment, they've persevered, right? Everything that I just named, they've persevered through it. They've gone from point A of rubble to point B of a wall and every living hell in between, right? It's an overwhelming moment, but Nehemiah and his friends, they all persevere, get to the end, and this should be the moment where they go, man. Now we can sit back and drink a Coke. Fantastic. Man, I've been looking for a Coke for so long, so we started building this temple, man. I'm ready to sit back and build it. I'm ready to sit, excuse me, ready to sit back and just relax, take a deep breath, and just celebrate the victory. Right? Because they've persevered, they've run the race set before them, they've heard the coach and they've gotten to the end. Persevered. But you see something, I want you to see this in chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 6. Verse 17 and 19. The first two verses are a lot of words, but the third verse makes sense to me. He says, it's interesting to me. I want you to, just to read this along with me. It says, also in those days, they've had the great victory moment, 15 and 16. Now it's verse 17. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Arad, his son, Johanan, whatever, and had married the daughter of Meshulon, son of Barad, whatever. Moreover, you just go say that for yourself. I'm not a word guy. More or name guy. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Sent letters to intimidate me. So let's get a picture here real quick. Who's Tobiah? Tobiah is this character we want to look at this morning. The other guys are this. So Tobiah is what's called an Ammonite. You don't know what that is, but it simply means this. An Ammonite were a people who lived east of the Jordan River. And they kind of butted up to Jerusalem here in Israel, right? And so Ammonites were not Jews. So they did not worship at Yahweh God, the God of the Jews, right? They worshiped Baal among other gods and goddesses in the day. And so when um, Jerusalem was sacked and they destroyed the temple, all the Israels kind of just dispersed like this. And some of them went to the Ammonite people and they found a sympathetic people who said, hey, listen, we ultimately like you. We're good people. You come in and we'll take care of you and allow you to be part of our culture. And so when they did, some of the Ammonites thought some of the Jews were good looking and said, hey, let's get married. Fantastic. And so we have what's called intermarriage, right? Ammonites marrying Jews. And what you find in Tobiah, he was one of those guys that thought Jewish girls were good looking. Hey, I think I want to marry her. Fantastic. Let's get married. And they intermarried. So what you have then with all of these names in verse 17 and 18 is they're simply saying they're all family. 
That's all they're saying. All these names of people, they're simply saying that they're family. All these names we named, they're good Jews who are in relationship with this guy who's married into the family. How many of you know when someone marries into your family, whether you like it or not, they're part of your family, right? And so this is what you got right here. Tobias married in, he's now part of the family, and they're all in relationship with him. And what it says here that this is, they were under oath to him, it simply meant they had a business contract with him. It meant they were doing business with him. And that he was kind of over them. So the picture we have is really clear. Tobiah's over here. He's part of the family because he's intermarried. He's probably a powerful Ammonite. He's powerful in business. And all these Jews are kind of under him. And they're in relationship with him. And here's the point. They all think he's great. They all think he's great. Saying, hey, listen, listen. They keep reporting to me his good deeds, right? And then telling him what I said. Because you've done it before, like, hey, I mean, hey, Nehemiah doesn't think you like him, Tobiah. Oh, my gosh, no, no. I think he's great. Well, you really think he's great because he doesn't think you like him, and he wants to be friends with you. Oh, yeah, I love Nehemiah, right? This whole thing going on. They have this whole dialogue going back and forth. And so they leave and say, hey, take these letters back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah opens them up, and what does he find? Nehemiah, you're an idiot, and you're completely missing it. We're still going to come and kill you in trying to intimidate him. So what I find in all of this is this. The picture is clear. Perseverance was something that defined the life of Nehemiah. They finished the temple. They pressed through all the threats and all the attacks that were impending on them. They made it through to the end. And everyone's celebrating. But in that moment when they're ready to take a deep breath and just exhale, the enemy finds a moment to get in and try to attack him and destroy him from someone who actually was part of the family and who in the eyes of everybody else was a great guy. But Nehemiah knew differently. And so what we find in this is that perseverance, according to James, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. And how do you know that perseverance has run its full race? Well, you die. You die. Because what we find here in Nehemiah is he's pressed through to the end. And the enemy keeps on moving in the moment. So three things that we see here that I want us to begin to learn about perseverance and things we can learn here from James and Nehemiah is this. Fairy t- listen, Fairy tales have it all wrong. There is no such thing as a happily ever after this side of heaven. There is no happily ever after this side of heaven. Yes, when you get to heaven, oh, happy day, oh, happy day, right? That's when we can celebrate. This is a great moment, right? But until we get to that moment, there is no happily ever after. Because in our life and in that moment, we continue to run the race. What? Until we reach the prize of Jesus. When does that happen? When we die and don't go to hell and get to heaven to be in relationship with him. And until then, he says, every day of your life is the race that you're running and you have to engage perseverance. Why? Because when you think that you've reached the end, it's just the beginning for a fresh work of the enemy to move in your life and to destroy you. When you get to heaven, you've got eternity to rest. 
But until that moment, you have to recognize there is a real ebb and flow. Life has ups and downs. And we can't just coast to the finish line. Because in that moment, (gasps) Tobias of our lives write letters to intimidate us and to threaten us and to keep us from what God has for us. If you want to coast to the end, you can't. I, told, I didn't tell the story of the first service, but I got a little time here. When I was in college, I, I, I dream every night. Every night I have dreams, and most of the time I remember them. And some of the time, about twice a year, they're actually from God, right? And so I had this dream when I was in college. I'll never forget it. In my dream, I'm walking up, with the, up a mountain with a group of people, and I can see the valley here, and I can see another mountain over here. And I, as I'm walking, I look, and I recognize I'm wearing really cool armor, and, I have a, and, and I'm really wearing really cool armor, right? I'm kind of leading this group, and it's a great time. We turn the corner of the mountain, and there's a massive dragon, like one of those fire-breathing, smoking coming out of their nostrils dragon, right? And in, my, in the moment, I get really angry, right? I'm like, how dare this stupid dragon be in my way? And so I look, and I realize in my hand is like a William Wallace sword. You know what I'm talking about? One of those massive, awesome swords that you wish you could carry every day of your life. And I see the dragon, I'm like, and I'm like, and I run, and I just, boom, and I hit it as hard as I can. And as soon as my sword hits this dragon, I mean, it just boom, takes off, right? Takes off way up into the sky and so high. I'm thinking, my gosh, I've just totally annihilated and killed this dragon with the best swing I've ever had in my entire life. And that was pretty awesome, right? I felt really good, right? So it's flying through the air. And all of a sudden, the dragon kind of does this. And this comes back down. And it lands on the mountain, the other side of the valley. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this dragon is dead. But as soon as that dragon hits the mountain, it starts chugging again, and, and, smoke, and smoke's coming out of his nostrils and fire coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, what was that? And I wake up. I recognize this from the Lord uh, because of what was going on in the moment. And I said, God, what was that? And he said, Steve, that represents sin or the enemy moving in your life. He said, said, I've given you the sword of the word to combat the movement of the enemy in your life. And when you use it, you have power and you have authority. But let me tell you, no matter how hard you hit it this side of heaven, it is still living and it's still looking for ways to destroy and to kill you. And I went, oh, (laughs) that's a good dream, (laughs) right? But you find that in the moment, no matter what's going on. Fairy tales have it all wrong. There are victories, but there's life is a battle. Life is a battle. Second thing we see is this. Anyone can attack. Anyone can attack you. Tobiah was a family member. Everybody liked Tobiah. Everyone comes to him, everyone who's really close and part of the family saying, Oh my gosh, no, no, Nehemiah, he's really a good guy, I promise. He said this about you. And, da, 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 da. and Nehemiah's going like, you are clueless. I know who Tobiah is, right? He's attacking me, but nobody else knew. The enemy can attack from any direction. One of the most sobering scriptures to me in all of the Bible is where Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's Mark chapter 8, verse 33, if you want to make sure I'm not cheating here. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Listen, Peter was one of Jesus' good friends. He was the, the, the leader of all the other disciples, right? Peter's a good guy. 
Peter's in the spirit a lot. And in this moment, he all of a sudden gets in his flesh, right? He gets out of God's will. And Jesus looked at him. Basically what Jesus says is, listen, I know your heart's good, but the enemy is actually using you to tempt me away from the call of God on my life. It's the idea you have good thinking, but you don't have God thinking, right? That whole idea that good is the enemy of great many times in our lives. And so in this moment, we find it to be true that Tobiah, man, listen, Tobiah probably has no idea that he's opposed to God's will. Tobiah, Tobiah probably thinks that he's doing what is best for his family and what's best for him. He probably thinks he's doing what is ultimately best for all the other Jews, right? How many of you know that Peter didn't realize the enemy was using him? Tobiah probably didn't either. He's probably looking at it rationally going, wow, if we build, up back, build Jerusalem back up, then we'll start coming under attack from all these other people. Why? Because they don't like us. That's not a good thing. We can just relate to them and have a good thing going, but not do our own thing. Tobiah is clueless that he is literally being used by the enemy to destroy the plans of God. And so that should be sobering to all of us. That the enemy at any time can use any one of us in someone else's life to work against God's will for us. And so in that doesn't mean that we live paranoid every day of our life going, oh my gosh, are they of the enemy? Am I of the enemy? Oh my gosh, I'm so frogging him. I'm so stricken by fear. Am I Satan himself? All it means is simply this. You just live life aware that you've been given a gift of discernment. Why do you think you need it? Because you need to be able to discern between right and wrong, God and not. Listen, Paul's looked at the church of Corinth and said, Hey, listen, all of you, a lot of you are speaking prophetic words, speaking the words of God to people. But hey, those of you who are wise, test that and see if it's really from the Lord or not. What does that mean? It means some people are speaking in their flesh and some people are speaking of God, right? Be clear in that. So when we come to this moment, recognize that attack can come from anyone. You have to be close enough to Jesus to discern that. Nehemiah recognized it, but we have to be aware. Number one, attacking from anywhere. Number two, listen, you have to be aware of not being the one through whom the enemy is attacking someone else. That's why you need to be on your face before Jesus every day in humility, making sure that you're being obedient to him in every step that you're taking. Third thing we see is this. This is, this is uh, counterintuitive to everything we've ever been taught, unfortunately, probably in church even. Celebrate difficulties in life. Celebrate hardships and difficulties in life. What does James say? Consider it pure joy when you face trials and temptations of many kinds. Seriously? That just sounds stupid. You're telling me that when trials come and all the temptation comes, I going to go, yay, this is awesome. But the idea of what James is getting at is saying, listen, you don't celebrate difficulty and go, I'm looking for hardship in my life. But when it comes, Jesus is always worthy of celebration. And he is always moving in our lives. And so that when we come to this place and difficulty is coming, you say, listen, you can celebrate in the moment because you know that this difficulty gives you an opportunity to choose perseverance. And when perseverance as a character trait is birthed in you, you become mature and effective in life. 
And so we, we don't come and say, I so enjoy getting beaten. This is awesome. No, we come and say, I don't enjoy the difficulty, but I celebrate what it's producing in me. Nehemiah didn't like all the difficulties that were facing, but let me tell you what it did. That all the things that he persevered through and went through, it prepared him for what God had for him. And what I would say for us, the same is true. Everything that we go through right now in life will be used by God to prepare us for what he has next in our life. It will cause his character to be birthed inside of us. And so as we live our life in the transition moment, right, and, and all of these hardships come and all the obstacles come, we can either sit passively and say, woe is me, man, this is terrible. Why I hate my life and everybody hates me and, wow, this is terrible. Or you say, oh, I see it, I receive it coming in, I'm about to twist it on top of its head and I'm about to stomp on it in perseverance and get to the place that God has for me. No matter what hell breaks loose in my life, no matter how long it lasts, I'm going to persevere and get to the end even when everything inside of me is screaming, give up! Because when I get to the other side, perseverance will have been birthed and I will be mature and lacking nothing. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this moment, Lord, I, God, I, I recognize that the reality of this word is difficult. Father, it's, perseverance is never easy. And so, God, I come up here and get all passionate and excited and stuff. And, but the reality is it's difficult to flesh out every day. And so, Father, we just, I pray that you would come in this moment, Jesus, and that you would... Um, that you would silence us to understand your grace. And when that happens, God, all that really means is that you silence us so that you can pour yourself out into every area of our life that needs you so that we can understand that you're moving and fighting for us. And so, Father, silence us this morning to find you. Silence our, 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 all these voices that we hear of stuff that's going on so, God, that we can connect with you. Father, I just uh, I speak in our transition and difficult moments, Lord, that, that we can find joy because you're there. But, Lord, I mean, Jesus, you remember, Garden of Gethsemane, you did not enjoy the moment. But you knew it was necessary for what's coming in your death and your resurrection. And so, Father, for those of us who are in our Garden of Gethsemane moments and it's difficult and overwhelming. Father, I praise you that you are with us. You are praying us through that so that we can get to the other side. And I pray, God, that those who are in these moments, Lord, I do pray this in a yes and amen, God, to perseverance being birthed in them. Father, we say yes to you this morning and what you want to do. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, how we end every service of Vintage is this. If you need to go, then you are free to go. You guys have a great week, and we love you.